Amen. We are once again in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Alcohol. Topic number 10, Bobby, it's Seventh-day Adventist. That's right. And if you turn there into your notes as we do a little uh, recap here, we've already taken a look. What defines a cult? Well, guess what? These guys fit it biblically and secular definitions both. We remind ourselves, why are we doing this? Again, it's not just to win a debate and just to prove them how wrong they are. It's to reach out to them. We need to make sure that our heart's in the right place. But we're doing our homework and we're taking a look at the history. Where did this stuff come from? And why, in fact, and what proof and evidence is there that Seventh-day Adventism does not fit within the pale of evangelical Christianity? Well, we took a look at the first guy who started the whole thing, a date setter, Mr. William Miller. To his credit, even though he predicted Christ's return three times in a row, he admitted he was wrong. Uh, they kept the thing going, the whole group. It was called the Great Disappointment. Remember that? Okay, it should have been the Great Repentance. We'll never do that again, subtitled. But it wasn't. They just had to keep the thing going. And uh, it spawned many, many cults. Now, last time we saw the three big guns, I call them, okay, that out of the Great Disappointment, a whole slug of people, they went this way through Bates, James White, who married Ellen Harmon, later to become, obviously, Ellen G. White. And that is the birth of the Seventh-day Adventist. Now we're going to take a look at the multitude, and I would, uh, if I could, somehow capitalize every letter in that word, multitude, because there are so many false teachings coming out of this, and once you investigate it for yourself, how in the world people could sit there and say that this is the same thing as evangelical Christianity, even deserves, with all due respect, to be in our camp, the biblical camp, is beyond me. Okay, we're going to take a look at that tonight. But let's take a look there towards the bottom. It says, Teachings of Seventh-day Adventism, right? The name of the Seventh-day Adventist denomination indicates its two main distinctive characteristics, right? Seventh-day, the Advent, the coming of Jesus. They're big on the Sabbath worship. You've got to worship on Saturday because if you do Sunday, that's the mark of the beast, okay? Sabbath, okay, observance, i.e. the seventh day, i.e. Saturday, and an expectation that the end of the world is drawing near. Now, is that a bad thing? No, but they set dates, and that's the whole premise. And because they didn't want to admit that they were wrong, just like their founder eventually did after three times, okay, they came up with another false teaching, the investigative judgment, just to have to say, no, we didn't get it wrong, right? It wasn't Jesus coming to the earth. He just moved in the sanctuary. And again, later we'll get into that in great detail. But also Sabbath, is it wrong to worship God? Is it wrong to worship God at a particular day? No, the day isn't the issue, right? Paul says you worship God 24 your whole life is a living sacrifice. So don't get hung up on a day. And we haven't even got into that. We'll get to that, Lord willing, later on is it a big crime for Christians to worship on Sunday and it's got to be Saturday. No, that's the Jewish Sabbath. That was for them. That's not for us today. But that's their two big distinctives. It's built in even to their name. Now, other distinguishing characteristics include adherence to the teachings of who. Ellen White, and I'm talking big time. In fact, we're going to see evidence that they truly believe that her writings are just as inspired as God and that their ministers not only need to study the Bible, but her writings again and again and again every single day. That's how high they elevate this lady. In fact, we'll see that they even admit that uh, without her writings, you don't basically have a Seventh-day Adventist church. Okay, that's how much they put stock into it. So that's what they do. The adherence to her teachings, who is regarded as a prophet... And various dietary observances rooted in the Jewish law. Key word there, what law? Jewish law. So what's that mean? Mm, it's for the Jewish people. It's not for us today, right? And uh, so there's that. And uh, by the way, how many guys went home and cleaned out your cereal cupboard? After the last one. Remember that with Kellogg? Wasn't that wild? Oh, wow. We're going to get into that again tonight. The SDA uh, stop dates setting again, but, or whatever that stands for, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, considers itself a branch of Protestant Christianity. Who does? They do. But they're not. 
Okay, though differences in doctrine and practices have led some mainstream Christians to dispute that designation, right? Quote, it is perfectly possible to be a Seventh-day Adventist and be a true follower of Jesus Christ despite heterodox concepts. Okay, now this is the big issue. I'm probably going to save this for Lord willing next time. Right? Because I've already heard this online from people. How dare you say that these guys are not Christians? I know people. And it's always the same thing. Whether it's Catholicism or even a Mormon. Oh, these people are wonderful. They've got to be... Hey, I'm just telling you what they teach. Okay? Official doctrine from them. It's false doctrine. Okay? I'm just quoting what they teach. Okay? But they, 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 they pull out the Walter Martin card. Okay? That's a quote from Walter Martin. And they say, well, Walter Martin, who was a great guy, great classic, Kingdom of the Colts, Walter Martin met with them, and he said that they weren't a cult. Well, Lord willing, we'll take a look at some of the evidence of that. They weren't being honest with him, okay? But that's a card that usually gets flipped out there as well, okay? Now, in our evaluation, though, of SDA today, let's see if we can agree with Walter Martin, right? He said that they're within the pale of Christianity, reportedly so. I don't think so, and we're going to focus on just a few. And again, I don't have time for all of them, and we're just going to hit some highlights, just a few of Ellen G. White, who they say uh, you've got to follow what she says. And again, they said that she was a prophet, a true prophet of God. Just like the Old Testament prophets, God supposedly raised up this lady uh, named Ellen G. White. Now, because of that, there's a lot of people that have some criticism towards her. Okay, And uh, one of the things that comes out towards her is people say, I'm sorry, lady, with all due respect, we think you are suffering from mental illness. Okay, I am kidding you not. And part of that is because they look at her life history, and we're going to take a look at her behavior again tonight, and they say, well, maybe the reason why you, quote, saw these supposed visions is because when you were, what, nine years old, you got hit in the head with a rock. Okay, so severe of a head trauma that thing was, as we saw before, she was in a coma for three weeks, and then she couldn't go to school anymore. Okay, so they're maybe saying, well, maybe that's what it is. We'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Sorry, don't buy it. But maybe the reason why you had these so-called experiences, which if you recall last time, supernatural strength, rigid body, what does that sound like? It sounds like a demonic issue that's going on there. Okay, so maybe you had that. So that's one criticism. The other big criticism that comes out, okay, is plagiarism. Okay, plagiarism. Okay, now let's explore that one. Uh, one guy, it's a famous work, if you want to check it out, Walter Rhea. Re, however you want to pronounce it, R-E-A, he wrote a book called The White Lie, as in this right here, a little play on the words there. Another guy, critic, is Ronald Numbers, Ellen White, prophetess of health. And he argues in his book that her understanding of health reform, remember that we, that's what we dealt with last time with Kellogg and the Seventh-day Adventist teaching the dietary laws and all this stuff. Well, he said that her so-called health reform was plagiarized from other health reformers and did not even come from divine revelation. Because again, she's saying, this is not from me, this is directly from God. But people say, no, we can do the research ourselves, and you plagiarized and hacked and chopped from other people and other sources. Right? Just like, remember Joseph Smith did when we went through Mormonism? He just hacked and spliced from other sources there, and it's supposed to be all from God. And then he even just took major portions of the Bible and just hacked it into the Book of Mormon. The whole thing uh, was a hack job, by and large. Okay? Now, others, okay, it's not just these secular guys, but people in their own camp admit, admit that she plagiarized. And I'm going to quote a couple of them to you. Listen to this, okay? Okay, they discovered that she had plagiarized, okay? One of them was a guy that the Seventh-day Adventist, because this is a long-standing criticism of her, that she was guilty of plagiarism, okay, majorly so. They hired a guy named Dr. Fred Veltman, 
Okay, not to be confused, like Marty, that one guy with the... I don't think they're related. I didn't research. You can do that later. But anyway, Dr. Fred Veltman, right? He confirmed, and this is the guy the SDAs hired, right? Okay, they, hired, they confirmed what other studies show that depending upon the material used from Ellen White's writing, the copy work could be as much as 90%. 90% of what she said, this is not from me, this is not from man, this is directly from God. 90% was plagiarized. Excuse me? So right out of the gates... Hence the title of the other book, The White Lie. Okay, is this somebody I should listen to? Well, first of all, you should never veer off the scripture, period. Right? But come on. Right? And that's not 9%. You shouldn't have no percent, but 90%. Okay? In fact, Dr. Don McAdams, an Adventist scholar in their own camp, in a 1980 Glendale meeting said, quote, if every paragraph in the book, The Great Controversy, from her, written by her, was properly footnoted, then every paragraph would have to be footnoted in the whole book. Okay? Dr. Veltman, after finishing his study, asked, quote, why did Ellen G. White deny she ever copied? When it's so obvious, she did. Right? So this is coming from their own camp. Right? The issue is how much of the copy work in all of her writings was of human function origin and how much of it, or if any, was of divine origin, as she said. I would say none of it. Okay? But 90% of it, the research is saying, this is not anything original at all. Okay? Now, uh, it, but again, this is what she would say over and over again. She would say the phrase over and over again, I was shown right god shown me he showed me this is uh, uh, excuse me somebody showed you a book and you hacked it okay with all due respect you got a book and you hacked it okay that's what you were shown okay uh and it left people that what she would say not only i was shown but she would say that it was quote an angel of god remember we saw last time that she reported that an angel stood beside her when she's having hey i don't doubt that there was a spiritual being there that make an angel from god Right? Could very well be a, a demonic entity, okay? But she would say, I was shown, an angel of God told me this, the Spirit of God told me this, and that doesn't line up, okay? And again, so what should you do in the case when somebody claims to have a word from God, a message from God? Well, let's go back to the passage. I'm not making this up. You're being so harsh, Pastor Billy. But no, let's go back to the biblical rule. When somebody claims to have something from God, okay, what, how, how much of a percentage could they get wrong? Right, zero. Okay, Deuteronomy 18. Let's go back to that text again. We dealt with this the last couple times, Mormon Jehovah's Witness, because it's the same premise. They got a word outside the word of God, right? But let's take a look at Deuteronomy. Alrighty. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And let's take a look there at verse 20 through 22, right? It says this, but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be what? Put to death. How many guys would say that God takes it serious when people say, I, God told me to tell you? Yeah. And how many guys would say that these people and anyone who does that uh, should very, be very thankful we're not under the old covenant? We talked about that before. Continue on. Well, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If God's speaking, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, what? That's your acid test. That is a message the Lord has not spoken. Why? Because God doesn't lie. God doesn't get it wrong. God is holy, 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 right? 
That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not being insensitive. I don't believe so. But I am not afraid of people who want to accuse me of being harsh with Ellen G. White. God's word says don't be afraid of them. They're not from God. I didn't say it. God did. I'm just reporting what he said. Okay, stick with God's word. I know you might have a relationship. I know you might have a history, but God's word says, cut them off. Don't listen to them. Stick with what God's word. They get anything wrong. And first of all, there's that whole debate we already dealt with anyway. Is that a gift that's even a function for today? But even if you want to ignore that, you get anything wrong, shut it off. You're done. And from the inception, they should have shut it off the first time William Miller made a false prediction. To his credit, it took him three times to his credit he tried to stop it, but it was too late. These people wanted to keep it going. Okay? And that's the underpinnings of this whole movement called the Seventh-day uh, Adventists. Right? Now, let's get into her behavior. Right? The mental illness, the plagiarism, let's get into her behavior. Is this somebody uh, that really do you think that is full of trustworthiness and this is a reliable way to get truth? Okay, now what I'm going to quote from you, and this is actual historical documentation. This is in 1845. When was the Great Disappointment? 1844, right? So this is the following year, and this is involving Ellen Harmon. She hadn't been married yet. They got married the next year, I believe, 1846, but she's already in association with James White. So this is her, another lady, Dorinda Baker, and a guy named Israel Damon who was heading up this particular group now this is from a court, a sworn courtroom testimony okay in uh, march 7th 1845 and it was under the heading of trial of elder i damon d-a-m-m-o-n israel damon the guy right because of what they were doing it was so scandalous for back in that day mm, immoral stuff that they want to say oh no that's a holy kiss that it made the newspapers went to court but this tells you at the inception what kind of behavior was this lady? And there's a group of people who do the same thing today, right? And this is going to be, Lord willing, in three different sections coming down the road. And that same group of people is called the charismatic movement, right? This is nothing new under the sun was being done. Listen to what they were doing at this meeting in historical uh, context. Okay, quote, small pockets of believers were scattered throughout the Northeast. And the meetings, which she was at, Ellen Harmon at the time, later to be white, uh, met almost exclusively in private homes. They were characterized, this is after the great disappointment, right? You should have stopped right there, but they kept it going. And they were characterized, every time when they would meet, they were characterized by, quote, the holy salutation kiss, loud shouting and singing, physical prostrations, promiscuous mixed foot washings, girls touching guys. This is back in the day, which is still kind of creepy even today. But back in then, it's like, you don't, you don't do that. Right? Okay. Multiple baptisms by immersions. We're going to see that she even said in this meeting that uh, if you don't be baptized right now, you're going to go to hell. Okay. Uh, odd uh, odd uh, exhibits of, listen, uh, crawling around and barking. What does that sound like? You get that extreme charismatic. This is what, this is, this is their behavior. This is the root of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. This is the lady that they say is inspired as the Word of God, and they tell their leaders, you have to study her writings, which is way bigger than the Bible. All right? So let's go on. A woman at the meeting got on her hands and knees. This is the report. Highlights of it. Got on her hands and knees and crept over the floor like a child. A man in the same position followed her, butting her occasionally with his head. 
Another man threw himself at full length upon his back on the bed, and presently three women crossed him with their bodies. And Ellen White was there moving amongst the people. The meeting was presided over by this uh, Israel, uh, Israel Damon, okay? And uh, there were two so-called visionaries there. Guess who was one of them? Ellen Harmon, Ellen G. White, right? And that was the other one. The other one was a lady named Dorinda Baker. So these ladies supposedly got the other visionaries, visions from God, prophets from God, right? And uh, so here's, here's what they said. They would at times all be talking at once, hallowing at the top of their voices. A woman on the floor lay on her back with a pillow under her head. She would occasionally arouse up and tell of a vision that she said was revealed to her. By spells, it was the most noisy assembly I ever attended. There was no order or regularity, nor anything that resembled any other meeting I ever attended. That's from an eyewitness. Total cacophony. People crawling up. What does it sound like? You look, some of the video. Yeah, it certainly sounds demonic, uh, number one. But also, that's your charismatic movement today. And we're not there yet, but guess who also came out of this? Je Jehovah's Witnesses were influenced by these guys. We saw last time. We also saw you got Seventh-day Adventists. You got Mormons being birthed out at this time. Christian Science. Guess who also is coming out at the same time? I even got is the Charismatic Movement. All this was going on at this time after the major revivals in America. It's a counterfeit issue, right? Now, also, guess what? She and quote Sister Durbin were both struck down and slain upon the floor. Sounds like he, anyway, and uh, and Durbin was shouting while Harmon was in vision, right? And uh, then they said you had to be rebaptized. Witnesses testified that Miss Harmon, Ellen White, right later, presented some individuals visiting them uh, with painful alternatives. They could undergo an icy baptism in the middle of the winter that very night or go to hell. Quote, they told her vision that she got supposedly from God to a cousin of mine, that, and this is a witness, that she must be baptized that night or go to hell. She objected because she'd already been baptized. This is what's going on here. Another lady said uh, she told them of their cases had been uh, made known to her by the Lord. And if they were not baptized that evening, they would go to hell. We believed her. Because again, she's supposed to be a prophet. It's from God and all that stuff. Right? Now, the holy kiss. And this was the other thing that was going on. A lot sure seems a little immoral. Right? Uh, very promiscuous. The subject of kissing came up repeatedly in the trial. Uh, one particular instance in this exercise supposed to be this holy kiss, right? Uh, received much attention in the trial. And that was when Dorinda Baker, the other visionary, supposedly, uh, approached a guy named Joel Dore, D-O-O-R-E, and said, she said to him, you have refused me before. And Dore, the guy, recalled Miss Baker saying that he, quote, had thought hard of her. And so Dore became, quote, satisfied of my error, and we kissed each other with, a, with the holy kiss. And another guy was watching and testified that Miss Baker said, that feels good. <laughs> so you're doing all this, brawling the floor, doing, it's a total cacophony. And, and, it's like, and you're like, you don't even know and you're not married. And you're like, whoa. Is this starting to stack up here as like a reliable source of anything? And it's certainly even going outside the scripture. Man, we even got started yet, okay? And, okay, but here's, let's just, I'm going to give you, Okay, uh, the, uh, just a, a smattering of, of some of the things that she uh, supposedly taught in these supposed visions. And you tell me if this lines up with God's word. Okay, oh, by the way, she called the people, right? Because there was a group of people who, after the great disappointment, Willem Miller, the founder, 
William Miller, the founder, admitted that he was wrong. Remember in the last five years of his life, he tried to corral it around and say, I was wrong, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have said that. Remember that? Okay. And, but there was a group of people that walked away and says, man, we got duped, right? Listen to what she said to them. She called them the synagogue of Satan. They were the fallen Adventists who had given up 1844 as a mistake. Well, it was. But she called them that. And that the nominal churches knew that God loved us who could salute the brethren with the holy kiss. So that was another justification. We're the ones who believe. You are the... All this to just justify that. Now, one other thing. We'll move on to the false teachings, right? Now, uh, guess who was traveling around together and they weren't married yet? Really big no-no. That's a big no-no even today. uh, Living together, shacking up together. Uh, which is I've had to deal with, I can't tell you how many times uh, as a pastor, even today, so-called Christians, uh, but really was a big no-no in the mid-1800s. All right, but here's, here's the record, okay? And this is a witness from Miss Lucinda Bodge Burdick, said, quote, at the time of my first acquaintance with them, James White and Ellen Harmon, later to become Ellen White, in early 1845, they were in wild fanaticism. They used to sit on the floor instead of chairs and creep around the floor like little children. They were not married, but traveling together. And that was this part of the scandalous stuff that was going on, that they're, you're having this court stuff, okay? And quote, the talk gradually subsided after their marriage in 1846. Interesting, right? But again, she claims that she is inspired as the Bible. And this is what they teach. In fact, this is official Seventh-day Adventist. They gave her the highest possible endorsement. This is from their general conference. And this is a resolution that apparently was passed. Quote, that we reaffirm our abiding confidence in the testimonies of Sister White, her supposed visions, to the church as, quote, the teaching of the Spirit of God. Our positions on the testimonies, what she said, is the keystone to the arch. Take that out and there is no Logical stopping place till all the special truths of the message are gone. So you get rid of her writing, you ain't got no Seventh-day Adventist church, right? Nothing is surer than this, that the message and visions of Mrs. White belong together and stand or fall together. In other words, you've got to take the whole enchilada. Either stands or falls. Well, I'd say it falls. The spirit of prophecy, her writings, is a fundamental part of this message, their message. Since the rise of this message, this denomination has believed in the spirit of prophecy. We have preached it as widely as we have the Sabbath and other kindred truths, and we believe it thoroughly. So let's analyze what they just said. This is their general conference. This is the Seventh-day Adventist. They're saying by their own confession, the church, their church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, listen, is not built upon Jesus Christ and the Bible. They are being very adamant that it's built on who? Ellen G. White. Major, major problem. The uh, scripture rule is the Bible, the Bible only is the rule for our faith and practice, right? Sola Scriptura, right? Seventh-day Adventists do not abide by that, but they add to the Bible her writings. In fact, they even say, listen, that according to their own statement, if left with the Bible only, listen, without her writings then their church would fall. Right? That's what they're saying, right? So then on what basis are they really founded upon? Not the Bible. And yet you're going to say that they're Bible-believing Christians like you and I. This is their own words. They admit that it's her. She is the foundation. Her writings, which were plagiarized, her visions and dreams, barking on the floor, doing all this other stuff is what they built it upon. So that, that's their own words. I'm not making this up. Okay, now, listen to it. And then, on top of that, that's bad enough. 
On top of that, okay, they, quote, believe as we do that the spirit of prophecy is the spirit of prophecy, which is Ellen G. Wright's writing, writings, is the only infallible interpreter of Bible principles since they say it is Christ through this agency given the real meaning of the words. What? So not only do you really build it on the stuff coming from Ellen G. White and not the Bible, okay, but you say that it is only through the writings of Ellen G. White that you can rightly interpret the Bible. This just gets worse to go. Now, who also believes stuff like that, false teachings like that? Catholicism, right? The Pope is the only one. The Catholic Church is the only one who has the authority to rightly interpret. You do not have that authority. But it's the same thing there. Mormons is the same thing with there. On and on it goes, okay? So that's really the foundation of it, okay? Uh, and again, they discard nothing. They say that she is equal to, quote, Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, Paul, and John the Revelator is basically what they're saying. That she is just as valid of a prophet as the Old Testament uh, prophets, okay? And, of course, and cults, one of the things that cults do, okay, is if you dare disagree, then they throw in the fear factor. And that's what she does, right? That's what she says. She claims, quote, anyone who rejects or opposes her writings is branded as a rebel fighting against God. And I quote, if you lessen the confidence of God's people in these testimonies, what she said, you are rebelling against God as certainly as Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. If you know your Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, you're going to see those are the guys that rebelled against Moses. So again, what she's saying, her own words. I'm like Moses. I'm just as valid as Moses. And if you dare disagree with me, you're going to get it like those guys. That's a threat. That's what cults do. Right? Okay. She said, quote, It is God, not an erring mortal, that has spoken. Those who doubt or oppose are fighting the spirit of God. Those who would break down our testimony, I saw, she said, and suppose a vision, are not fighting against us, but against God. And her writings, again, as we saw before, are 17 times as large as the Bible, and their ministers study these books and writings of her just like the Bible. And I quote, this is again uh, from them, we would urge all our people to study the testimonies daily. That's Ellen G. White's writings. Our workers especially should read them over and over again. That's a direct quote. That's how much they put stock in it, okay? Now, that's the whole basis of that. I don't know how you could say this. The same thing as biblical Christianity. It's beyond me, right? But now let's take a look at some rapid-fire uh, false teachings. And I, again, I, we'd be here, I don't know how long, okay, uh, just nailing down all these false teachings. But I'm just going to give them to you, and when we're done, I don't know about you, I'm already there. How you could say this is the same thing as evangelical Christianity is beyond me, with all due respect. Okay? And, uh, and they do not, by their own words, even follow the Bible. Major difference there. Right? But let's, let's take a look. Well, first of all, she predicted. Again, what was the biblical rule? If you're supposed to be a prophet, if that's even a function for today, which I think is arguable anyway. Uh, but if you're supposed to be a prophet, how many times can you get it wrong? Zero. So if you ever get it wrong, what's the rule? Yeah, well, John wants to kill him. Okay, you're being good with the old covenant. That's good. But praise God we're not under that anymore. <laughs> kill him with kindness. That's what you meant, right? Yeah, whatever. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> but anyway uh, you cut him off. You're done with him, right? Well, I let, I, I, we're just going to roll through him. How many times? Every single time you get this wrong. Right? One time, first of all, she predicted a curse, right? A curse on a guy, right? Is that something Christians should do? That when somebody disagrees with you, I, I curse you? Well, first of all, well, she did, 
Okay, and specifically to this guy named Moses Hole in uh, 1862, because he was about to give us his faith in Adventism. Oh, wait a second. What's that? That's what cults do. You dare leave, you're going to burn in hell, you're going you're gonna to be... De- well, he's going to leave, okay, and she says, I put a curse on you, the curse of God. Quote, if you proceed in the way you've started, misery and woe are before you. God's hand will arrest you in a manner and that will not suit you. His wrath will not slumber. Well, guess what? I did the historical research, and Mr. Holt lived on many long years to a ripe old age. Nothing like that ever happened to him. So, so that's just a curse. You might think it's a minor issue, but again, she's saying this is in the name of the Lord. Did she get it right? No, what should you do? <clears throat> Cut it off. First of all, I'm not with somebody with all due respect who might have had a serious head injury and then your 90% of your stuff is plagiarized which so means you're lying. Okay? And then your behavior is all this stuff with barking on the ground and you're doing this immoral stuff and that was scandalous even today and it's like... But now you're saying the stuff's from God and you're getting it wrong. There's no... Why would you listen to any of this? Why would you put this on par even with the Scripture? It's mind-blowing, right? Okay, she also made predictions about the Civil War. How did she do on that? Uh, uh, the Civil War in 1861-65 placed the Adventists in a trying position. They could not engage in war and keep the Sabbath. Right? Because you've got to keep the Sabbath. Well, times in war, you might be fighting on Saturday. Right? So that was a whole other... But she was said... Here, this is supposedly from... Uh, she got this from God, supposedly. Obviously not. She said, I was shown some things in regard to our nation. And she was de- uh, denouncing Lincoln's administration. And she said that only defeat is prophesied for him and his administration. Mr. Lincoln is in need uh, and has asked the prayers of all Christians and appointed days of fasting and prayer. Mrs. White said, I saw that these national fasts were an insult to God. This nation will yet be humbled into the dust when England does declare war. Now, this is past the War of 1812, right? This is the Civil War in the 1860s. Okay, has England ever since then declared war on the United States? So did she get that right? No, she got it wrong. What should you do? John, kill her with kindness, right? Kill her with kindness. That's right, John's on the ball again. Two times in a row, right? (laughs) No, cut him off, right? Excuse me. All right, oh, and by the way, has our nation been humbled into dust? Have we gone out into existence? No, right? And yet, she was saying that the Civil War was a sign of the end of the world. They just, just like the Jehovah's Witness, you just can't stop. You just got to take some event and say, this is it. It's coming close. It's coming close. Right? Right? And uh, she said, quote, the scenes, and talk about the Civil War, the scenes of Earth's history are fast closing. Time will last uh, a little longer. Only a little longer from the Civil War. How many guys are here tonight? Now, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're scaring me right now. <laughs> right? Uh, how many of you guys would say that uh, we've been around a little bit uh, since the Civil War? And it's been like, two for two wrong. You got the curse wrong, you get the Civil War thing wrong. Over and over again, your track record's not looking uh, good. She also privately warned married people not to have any more children uh, because time was so short, this is during the Civil War, that the, and the seven last plagues were soon to fall, that children born then would be liable to perish. So again, she was thinking that the Civil War was going to be the sign of the end. She got that wrong too, on top of other things, right? Now, prior to that, if you do the research, she also predicted, even before the Great Disappointment, the end of the world in 1843, 1844, the year after the Great Disappointment, 1845, and in 1851, as well as the the, uh, Civil War issue. So how many times is she getting it wrong? Over and over and over and over again. Now, just like we saw 
with Jehovah's Witnesses. When they got the date setting wrong, who did they blame? Their people. She does the same thing. She blames the failed prophecy on the members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Quote, thus the work was hindered and the world was left in darkness had the whole Adventist body united upon the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, how widely different would have been our history. Dear guys, that's why it didn't happen. Not me. Same thing, right? And again, she said that her accompanying... Okay, so that's another one. Now, her accompanying angels. So she said she had angels that walked with her, followed her, spoke to her, traveled with her. And again, I don't doubt that maybe there really were angels. The question is, were they holy or were they fallen? And the fallen is the, another word for demons, okay? So I think, yeah, you might have had something following you around. But she said that they told her in another vision, she discovered that women, listen, that women should wear short dresses with pants underneath. Why aren't you doing that right now? Oh, by the way, why don't Seventh-day Adventists do that right now? If this came from her, and this supposedly came from God. And her writings are more important than the Bible. So that's another contradiction, even in their own behavior today. She also affirms that her visits to heaven were made easily, right? She said after having left there during one of her visits, okay, to supposedly heaven, so now she's saying she's going to heaven and back. Okay, got a problem with that, right? Uh, that one of her visits, an angel, quote, handed me a green cord coiled up closely. Then he directed me to place it next to my heart. And when I wished to see Jesus take from my bosom and stretch it to the utmost. He, he cautioned me not to let it remain coiled for any length of time, lest it should become knotted and difficult to straighten. You know what this reminds me of? Remember they, uh, after the Toy Story first time, they had the, the Woody doll, and you pulled it back, howdy, partner, right? That thing. What is this thing, the LMG white cord? Hey, you got a vision, you got to, don't. It's like, what? Is, it's supposed to be in the back. I don't know, but this is, this What? And this is, and that's how you get to heaven? I'm just like, whoa. It gets worse. Uh, <laughs> she said, I was shown the company present at the, the conference. Okay, this was made in 1856. So the people alive at this conference, she said, quote, some will be alive and remain upon the earth to be translated the coming of Jesus. How many people do you know that are alive, still alive after 1856? Rhymes with nothing, right? And maybe, well, but maybe that's you that didn't raise your hand. Maybe you're, that's why, because you've been dead for many years. <laughs> well, guess what? She got that wrong on top of that. And we're just getting rolling, right? She also taught that the, in the communion service, the sisters, the ladies, should wash the feet of the brethren. Do they, do, do they even do this today? Again, this is what she stated. This is all, this isn't her. This is from God. From a vision, from God, from the angels, my company. The angels told me, the Spirit of God, right? Okay. Now, she also said that she went to planets. Yeah, listen to this. In 1846, in the house of Mr. Curtis, in the presence of Elder Bates, remember he was one of the other founders, okay? Uh, Mrs. White, while in vision, began to talk about the stars, giving a glowing description of the rosy-tinted belts which she saw on the surface of some planet, and added, I see four moons. She's supposed to be viewing Jupiter. Then having made motions as though traveling through space, 
She's like, what's that? I don't know. She began giving descriptions of belts and rings in their ever-varying beauty and said, I see eight moons now. Now she's describing Saturn. She's flying through space. Uh, next came a description of Uranus, and she says, I see six moons. And uh, she goes on, okay. So after counting aloud the moons of Jupiter, she then said, no, that's bad enough. So supposedly she's there at these three planets. She says, and I'm not making this up, quote, this is a historical record, uh, the inhabitants, this is supposed to be on Jupiter, the inhabitants are tall, are a tall, majestic people, so unlike the inhabitants of Earth, and sin has never entered here. The Bible says that because of sin, all of creation groans, right? Number one, uh, that. But how many guys could probably think it's easily verified that nobody's living on Jupiter? <laughs> yeah, okay. You know what that reminds me of? Who also said stuff like that? Other people who also supposedly had a word of God, who are also supposed to be prophets of God. Remember Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith, remember he said that there were people living on the moon and his protege, Mr. Brigham Young said that people live on the sun. Oh, yeah. Sure, pal. But that's what it says. She said the tall, majestic people without sin, this is on record, live on Jupiter. Now, let's put the, that, that's bad enough. But she said, remember, she was there. She saw the moons with her own eyes. I don't know what she was doing. Okay, but anyway, so, well, we know that's wrong, right? Jupiter, I did this. Research, Jupiter has 69 moons, Saturn has 62, and Uranus has 27. Wrong, 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 wrong on multiple levels. What's the biblical rule? You get even one wrong. We're done. John kills him with kindness. The rest of us, we do the same thing too and cut him off, right? <laughs> you cut him off, that's right. So she got that wrong, right? She also, right, said in her early writings, quote, said that there will literally be 144,000 saints that will live until the coming of Jesus. Oops. Well, wait a second. Remember the last study on Jehovah's Witnesses? Who was it that influenced the date-setting guy and the movement called Jehovah's Witnesses, Charles Taze Russell? In the beginning. Seventh-day Adventists. Interesting. So that was an influence back from her. You did the research, it all kind of fits together. Now, she also had some messed up, not just messed up, unbiblical views on the millennium. Oh, by the way, how's her track record so far? And again, I'm not even going to come close to getting them all. Right? Okay? On the millennium, she said, the wicked are annihilated and the earth is left empty and desolate for a thousand years. No. Open your Bibles to Revelation 20. Right? That's not at all what's going on there. Right? And uh, Revelation 20, you find the dictionary, left by maybe one, two pages, depending on your font size, right? Uh, Revelation 20, verse, the first three verses, man, tells us about that time period, right? And let's take a look there. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, right, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient, uh, that ancient serpent, who's the who? the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. I'm going to get that in just a second, but what's the Bible say in this passage on this issue? Where is Satan during the millennial kingdom? He's bound. He's not on the planet. He's bound, right? Then he threw him into the abyss, so he's in the abyss, locked up, sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the who? So what's on the planet? There's obviously people, there's nations, and this is just one passage. We can go to the Old Testament and other stuff. But it says, the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he, Satan, must be set free for a short time. So, is there nobody on the planet in the millennial kingdom? That's just one passage. 
No, not at all. And not only did she get that wrong, but she said Satan is on planet Earth and he's wandering in this peopleless Earth for a thousand years. Quote, as, And as the scapegoat was sent away into a land not inhabited, so Satan will be banished to the desolate Earth and an uninhabited and dreary wilderness. What? So not only you say people aren't on Earth during the millennium, that's false. You say that Satan is on the planet wandering around when the Bible says, no, he's, I'm just quoting Revelation. What? And then she even says, at the close of the thousand years, Jesus again returns to the earth. Well, where did he go? He was ruling and reigning the whole time on the planet. You got that one wrong too. So that's just three things. On just the millennium, he got wrong. What's the biblical rule? You get how many? One wrong. What do you do? Kill them with kindness, shut them up, close them down. John's got the whole routine now. Uh, figure it out. Okay, so all right, now, now she uh, gets all kinds of weird stuff. She not only gets it wrong, but she keeps changing her mind. Did, does God ever change his mind? She says, well, here's what I really believe. No, nope, no, nope, I made a mistake. And it's this. Over and over again, this lady continues to contradict herself. Change her mind. Change this. Whatever. Now, she said at one point that Judas had a conviction to confess his sin. This is 1898. She said that when the Savior's hands were bathing those soiled feet, and wiping them with a towel, the heart of Judas uh, thrilled through and through with the impulse then that there was to confess his sin. So she said that Judas wanted to confess his sin. No. Now later she changed her mind. But again, she's supposed to be a prophet. So at first she says yes, then she says no in 1902. As Christ celebrated this ordinance with his disciples, the conviction came to the hearts save all, uh, to, of all, save Judas. Well, wait a second, you're supposed to be from God. You never get it wrong, you're a prophet. In 1898, he says, yes, he was convicted. And then later you say, no, he wasn't. Well, which one is it? And this is for just comparing your own writings. Well, the Bible says, that, of course, that he did admit his guilt to the chief priest, but he never went to God with that issue. But again, the point is what? You said one thing, and later you changed your mind. God doesn't do that, right? Oh, and by the way, she also got it wrong on the Herod issue. There's two different Herods. She thought they were the same one. Oops. Right? Listen, uh, she listened to this. She said that uh, uh, the Herod that took part in Jesus' trial was the same Herod that took the life of James. She didn't realize that it was Herod Antipas who took part in Jesus' trial and Herod Agrippa I who put James to death. But she wrote, Herod's heart grew still harder. And when he had heard that Jesus had arisen, he was uh, uh, not much troubled. He took the life of James. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he took Peter also, intending to put him to death. Wrong. It's not the same one. You got that wrong. Oh, and by the way, the Seventh-day Adventists, even on this one, they tried to cover it up. Right? And I quote, But when the error was discovered, the authors tried to fix it by a footnote on page 185 of early writings, saying, quote, The same Herodian spirit, only in another personality. That's what she meant. Put the cord down or something, make it. Excuse me, just admit it, it's wrong. But what's the biblical rule? You get how many? What? Well, can't even trust it, right? Oh, here's a big one. She said that Jesus' brothers were older than he. How many guys realize that that one false teaching destroys another biblical, historical, evangelical Christian doctrine? It's called the virgin birth. How many guys realize that Jesus had to be the oldest? For those of you hooked on genetics and the way that all works out. 
Excuse me? But this is what she says. Quote, all this displeased his brothers, Jesus' brothers, being older than Jesus. That's the desire of ages, page 86 and 87. Wow, now you just, that's not only wrong, but now you destroyed the virgin birth. The Bible says that Jesus was the firstborn, right? Plus there's the virgin birth. If you had people born prior to Jesus, it wouldn't be a virgin birth. So, you know, so uh, uh, he was the firstborn. Okay, anyway, so now, she also said that angels need a gold card to get in and out of heaven. Because that's the only way God can keep track of them. Now, I'm not making this up. If you guys want to pull the cord thing again. Uh, she said, quote, all angels that are commissioned to visit the earth hold a golden card, which they present to the angels at the gates of the city. Because we all know that God is not omniscient, and there's certain things that he needs help from other people to keep records of. Wow, okay. Does the God who can number the hairs on your head need a gold card to identify the angels? No, right? Okay, then she also said that she was given wings, right? So she got the, and she got wings to help her out, right? Uh, she said, quote, the Lord has given me a view of other worlds. Wings were given me, and an angel attended me from the city to a place that was bright and glorious excuse me do we see any of that evidence in the scripture even of actual real prophets no they weren't given wings at any time one guy said this seventh day adventists claim to be people of the bible and that their beliefs they say are supported by the scripture on the one hand they reject the roman catholic church beliefs such as praying to mary and saints and the confessional and rosary and holy water and the pope is the head of the church etc they reject joseph smith and his book of Mormon. They reject Mary Baker Eddy, that's coming next, Lord William, and her book, Science and Health, with keys to Scripture. They reject the Jehovah's Witnesses, which have the Watchtower Society to guide them. Uh, but the Seventh-day Adventists reject all beliefs that cannot be supported by the Bible. So they say the paradox is they accept Ellen G. White's additions to the Bible and her contradictions and false teachings from the Bible, outside the Bible, without question. Therefore, then like any other cult, they expect their members to do likewise. The SDA church insists all these additions and contradictions came straight from God, thus making God a part of their deception. But what do we read in the Deuteronomy passage? If somebody presumes to speak in the name of God and you get it wrong, what? you're done. Right? So that's iron. You would call these other people out who use extra-biblical things and that you yourself say is wrong, be it Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, but you're doing the exact same thing and somehow you're right. Completely inconsistent. Oh, and again, uh, she said that she is infallible. She says, yet now when I send you a testimony of warning and reproof, many of you do declare that it to be merely the opinion of Sister White, you therefore insulted the Spirit of God. In these letters which I write, I am presenting to you that which the Lord has presented to me. I do not write one article in paper expressing merely my own ideas. They are what God has opened up before me in vision. Don't think so. Because God doesn't contradict himself. Right? And by the way, we also got you on the plagiarism issue. On historical record. Okay? Okay, but then again, let's, I'm still going. Let me give you a few more. How are we doing so far? Is anything stacking up? How many is she getting right? How many are getting wrong? Right? I got a rule. You know, people, they call all the time. Pastor Bill, I can't find a healthy church. I can't find a healthy church. I go, hey, listen, it's part of the apostasy. Get rid of this convenience Christianity thing. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to drive or move. Okay? It's just, just okay? 
People say, well, but you know, you know, how do we know? You know, I said, and by the way, get rid of the misnomer that there's ever such a thing as a perfect church, right? Because the old axiom, if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up, right? And so we'll lie, ha, 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 right? Get that? But then I say, but listen, I'm not saying you accept everything, but you know, you know there's going to be some things that bug you, right? I said, my general rule is this, you chew the meat, every once in a while you come across the bone, spit it out. It's not that big of a deal. At least you're getting some good, decent teaching, right? Okay, so, so just be realistic about it. But that's my, but the, the, my, I always say this, but listen, I'm not saying accept anything. I says, but if you find yourself <laughs> spitting out more bones than ever getting any meat, then it's a waste of your time. I said all that to get to this. How many bones are we spitting out here and this is still the tip of the iceberg? Why would you waste your time on this? It's, it's just wild, okay? Now, she said she enters a temple that the Bible says doesn't exist. She said, quote, I saw an angel swiftly flying to me. And he carried me from the earth to the holy city. You know, mentioned in the Revelation. In the city, I saw a temple which I entered. Er, Revelation 21, 22 says, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The Bible says there is no temple. Okay, but she's supposed to enter the temple. She also said that the proper prayer position is to always be kneeling. Okay, quote, get down upon your knees. This is the proper position always. Both in public and private worship, it is our duty to bow down before God when we offer petitions to Him. To bow down when in prayer is the proper attitude to occupy. But then again, later she changed her mind. We must pray constantly with a humble mind and a meek and lowly spirit. We need not to wait for an opportunity to kneel before God. So wait a second, you're supposed to be from God, supposed to be a prophet of God. And you say, literally, it is the proper position always. Your word's not mine. Always have to be kneeling. That's the only way you can pray. But then later says, no, 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 I think we can stand. And this is on record. A guy, Elder D.E. Robinson, one of Ellen White's secretaries from 1902 to 1950, said, quote, I have been present repeatedly at camp meetings and general conference sessions in which Sister White herself has offered prayer with the congregation standing and she herself standing. Well, which is it? And again, this is contradiction. You say one thing one minute, you change your mind the next. Which one is it? It's not even consistent, right? And uh, you're missing the whole point uh, on that issue, okay? Now, she also got it wrong when she said that the plan of salvation was made after the fall of man. No, it wasn't. It was made before the foundation of the world. Uh, here's what she said. The kingdom of grace was instituted immediately after the fall of man when a plan was devised for the redemption of the guilty race. No. First Peter 1 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Right? Ephesians chapter 1. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless uh, in him, Okay, etc. So when does the Bible say that plan took place? Before the... And what did she say? It was after the fall of man. You got that one wrong, okay? Then she also said that Adam uh, uh, was not with Eve when she was tempted. Got that one wrong too. The angel, she said, had cautioned Eve. Does the Bible say anywhere the angels talked to Eve at all? There is no biblical support for that, number one. She said uh, the angels had cautioned Eve to be, uh, beware of separating herself from her husband while occupied in their daily labor in the garden. She unconsciously wandered from his side. And she soon found herself gazing with mingled curiosity and admiration upon the forbidden tree. 
Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, and I quote Genesis 3, 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her. And he did eat. He was right there. So you got that one wrong. Now, uh, Adam, she said, was also deceived by Satan. Some of the Bible says. Listen to this. Satan, she said, who is the father of all lies, deceived Adam in a similar way, telling him that he need not obey God, that he would not die if he transgressed the law. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was being deceived in transgression. Eve was deceived, not Adam. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. So what the Bible says, you got that one wrong. She also says that the Tower of Babel was built before the flood. And I quote, This system was corrupted before the flood by those who separated themselves from the faithful followers of God and engaged in the building of the Tower of Babel. Nope. You can read that in Genesis 10 and 11. Quote, These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations, which the survivors of the flood, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. And they said, after the flood, go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach to heaven, etc., etc. They didn't want to be scattered. So when was it built? The Bible says after. She says, no, it was before. Now, she also was confused on, did Elijah really feed, uh, did ravens feed Elijah? Uh, first she said, no. It says, there he honored Elijah by sending him food, morning even by an angel from heaven. And then she says, no, no, no. Uh, later, she said, uh, three years later, she said, he who fed Elijah by the brook, making a raven his messenger. So first she says, no, it was an angel. Then she said it was the raven. Of course, the Bible says it was the ravens. The ravens who, by the way, pay attention, brought him bread and flesh or meat in the morning and bread and flesh or meat in the evening. And, and that's what he uh, said okay now again uh, she not only contradicted herself okay but a year after her death the editors tried to smooth things over by omitting any reference to either an angel or a raven and they just said that it, he was miraculously provided with food trying to cover up her obvious contradiction of herself uh, she said uh, jesus was not the lord god almighty and I quote, the man Christ Jesus was not the Lord Almighty. That's not what the Bible says. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9. Also Revelation 1, Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Okay. Uh, was the atonement for sin completed at the cross? She says, No. Right? Instead, she said of Daniel 8.14, referring to the purifying of the earth, it was now plain that the pointed to the closing of the work of our high priest in heaven, the finishing of atonement. Jesus entered the most holy of the heavenly sanctuary at the end of the 2300 days of Daniel 8, 1844, to make final atonement. So that's again, we'll get into this later, that's their excuse they came up with to admit that they weren't wrong on the dates. That, oh yeah, it wasn't Jesus. We had it right. He just didn't come to the earth. He just moved in the sanctuary right, in 1844. Well, that's what she's saying now. That's when atonement took place in 1844. Well, what about all the other Christians before 1844? If, if that, it's not even true. 
Okay, but that's not what the Bible says. Jesus, uh, uh, we had atonement for our sins on the cross. John 19, uh, when he gave up his uh, life, it says it is, just before that, it is what? It is finished. Being justified freely by his grace through redemption in uh, Christ Jesus. Okay, uh, God has set forth a propitiation through his faith and his blood, which happened at the cross, right? His righteousness for the remission of sins. When did remissions of sin take place? What was that? It was Jesus' blood, his death on the cross. Romans 3, uh, Romans 5. Much more than being now justified by his blood, which happened on the cross, we shall be saved from the wrath of him, etc., 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 okay? So again, that's another false teaching. Now, does the blood of Jesus Christ cancel our sin? Well, yeah, is the correct word. She says no. Quote, the blood of Christ, while it was to release the repentant sinner from the condemnation of the law, was not to cancel sin. It will stand in the sanctuary until the final atonement. What? That's not what the Bible says. Ephesians 1. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Uh, 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin on and on it goes, okay? The Bible says forgiveness of sins are never counted against the individual. Ellen White contradicts the Bible by claiming that God stores up our sins and later punishes us for them if we do not measure up to his standard before the final atonement. And guess who gets to make up that standard? The Seventh-day Adventist Church. You've got to keep the Sabbath, the dietary laws, and all the things that they're saying. Now, is that a grace by faith? By grace through faith, gospel-centered message? What is that? Works. How? Just on that one alone, how could you say this is the same thing as evangelical Christianity? It's not at all. Oh, and by the way, who bears our sins? Well, Jesus is the right answer, but that's not what she said. She said it was Satan. Uh, it was seen, quote, she said, that while the sin offering pointed to Christ as a sacrifice... And the high priest presented a Christ as mediator. The scapegoat typified Satan, the author of sin, upon whom the sins of the truly penitent will finally be placed. Excuse me? The Bible says, 1 Peter 2, Jesus, who his own self bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are saved. And can we say that we are saved right now? Do we have any sense of assurance of salvation? Yeah, but she says no. She said, quote, those who accept the Savior, however sincere their conversion, should never be taught to say or feel that they are saved. Those who accept Christ and in their first confidence say, I am saved, are in danger of trusting in themselves. No, I'm not. I'm trusting in God's word and what Christ did for me. Right? The Bible says, yeah, we may know. Right? Verily, verily, I say unto you, John 5, 24, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. 1 John 5, 3, these things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you believe on the name of the Son of God. Okay? Um, and on and on it goes, man, I didn't get to the chicken thing. We're going to have to get to it next because there's no way I'm blowing through that, baby. Okay. Because that is like, I couldn't make this up on my best day. With oodles of sleep and a cup of coffee before me when your mind's just spinning it like a top. But I will say this. Her kids ratted her out. I'll, I'll give you a little teaser. Remember, because you can't eat meat. You've got to be vegetarian. And this came from a report. I got a report from Dr. Kellogg. And he was appalled by her behavior. 
because he was a vegetarian, right? And her kid, <laughs> they, they had a meat wagon, right? Right, that would come by, and he's out there, hey, <laughs> you got any duck? No, we ain't got no duck. Hey, <laughs> you got any named out some other meat? Fish? I ain't got no fish. And, and he says, do you got any chicken? <laughs> I think the guy says something. No. And he says, Mom wants chicken. <laughs> I just see the kids right around. Anyway, Dr. Kellogg's the one telling the story, and he's like appalled. And what we're going to get into next time is not just more unfortunate false teachings, even more, if you can believe that, but her hypocrisy. All the things she said that we need to stay away from, guess what she was chowing down on? Meat, cheese, butter, eggs, you name it, man. All the things, and they caught her. Right? Her kids ratted her out. But we'll get into that, Lord willing, uh, next time. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that 
and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the 10 commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him 
to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.